0: WHTT.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly.
1: Tonight, we're very pleased to have with us Earl Scanlon. I've known about him for a long time, and he is a Denver attorney with a long history of law practice and a lot of it in public interest type work. He is the chairman of the Rocky Mountain Public Banking Institute. That institute covers a number of states here. It is quite possible that Colorado could become one of the first states to have a public bank or a state-owned bank, or a municipally owned bank, I suppose, as they have now accomplished in California. Earl has worked on a public initiative to get on the Colorado ballot, and has come pretty close and made progress, and he's going to tell us about that tonight. Earl is a dedicated, hands-on kind of a guy who expects to get results, and he does get results. He told me he's competed in a national seniors tennis competition, and uh, he beat Thank somebody you. in it who was significant and went on to lose to a guy who won the competition. So he's a pretty competitive guy, and we'd like to have him fill us in on, first of all, about their efforts here in Colorado to create a a publicly owned bank, why he thinks it's worthwhile and important to dedicate so much of his life to this, and uh, why Colorado should adopt a public bank. We'd like him to share with us what a public bank will do, who it will do business with, and who it won't do business with, and uh, why this is good for us, why and how it saves taxpayers money. Now, North Dakota created a public bank some 84 years ago, or even earlier, depending on what you count, ever since 1936 consistently, and I've talked to the, some people in the bank, and it's uh, really interesting to talk to them. And as best I can tell, it is the great example set for everybody else of why one should do what Earl is trying to do here in Colorado. For those of our listeners who aren't aware of this, North Dakota may be the least populated state or certainly one of the least populated states in the, in the country, And uh, California has just passed a public banking resolution that passed the legislature and was signed by the governor, so it is law. And I think the fight, from what I can tell, the fight to actually get in business as a public bank is not over. Uh, There's going to be a lot of resistance and a big fight against it. I asked Earl who they found in their number of years of effort to get close to having a state bank in North Dakota, who is with them, who supports them, and who don't. And what he told me was uh, the only ones that they found that didn't like it after they understood it were the big banks. And that's exactly what we expect. So we're going to ask Earl to come on with us. Uh, Craig Hansen is on the line with us, and Craig will uh, help me with the question and answer session after Earl's had a chance to tell us about the uh, public banking system and, and what they're trying to do. And Earl, we'd also like to know what other states are trying to do this. Our listeners may not be aware that other states are actually trying to do what you're attempting. So Earl Stalen, chairman of the Rocky Mountain Public Banking Institute. Earl?
2: Thanks, uh, and thanks for having me on. Uh, This is an important subject that I think people find very interesting and encouraging because of its promise. I think probably a good place to start is to explain what a public bank is. As we define it, a public bank is a bank that is owned by a government agency, and one way to started is to have the tax revenue and other revenue of a state or city or a county instead of placing that as deposits in a uh, major Wall Street bank such as uh, Chase or Wells Fargo you put it in your own bank and then uh, invest that money in your own community and the commitment is to create a a healthy economy for your own community, whereas the goal of the big Wall Street banks is to maximize profit for their shareholders, which uh, very often involves uh, loans mostly made outside the local community and sometimes for things that uh, put the overall economy at risk, things like derivatives and credit default swaps. Or they invest in things that are not uh, sustainable, like uh, weapons, um, oil, um, private prisons, um, things of that sort. Whereas a public bank, is, gonna by its commitment, is going to be investing in things that are uh, helpful to the local community. And because they don't have to maximize profit, uh, they can... Uh, invest in things that have more overall benefit to the community, uh, such as clean energy, uh, affordable housing, uh, health care, uh, infrastructure is a major uh, thing. And the public banks, because you're using your money to generate loans um, in the community, and you... Do infrastructure, you can save uh, almost half the cost that consists of interest. If you're not having to issue bonds uh, and can borrow from your own bank, you can save um, nearly uh, half the cost that consists of interest. Uh, another major difference with um, a public bank is that you have a new source of income that you didn't have before. Uh, major problem throughout the country, the world really, in areas that are dominated by private banking is that um, at more and more assets are being uh, siphoned off into uh, the major banks and out of the middle class and uh, even medium and small businesses. And a public bank can reverse that and uh, they can also lend a lot more to small and medium-sized businesses. The big banks don't really like to do that. Uh, they don't know the customers well, and they're seeking higher profit than they can get. And a uh, public bank can uh, change that, uh, that situation dramatically by lending a lot more money to small and medium-sized businesses. And that's where most of the new jobs come from as well. So it's a very important fact. I didn't mention it, but student loans is another uh, area in which a public bank can uh, offer lower rates, um, both from the beginning and uh, can refinance student loans, which currently are uh, considered by many to be unpayable. $1.3 trillion, I think, is kind of the latest estimate. Um, and there are, uh, other Uses I haven't mentioned. Sustainable agriculture is a very big one. Um, And really any major function that a city or county or state or the federal government needs, for that matter, uh, can be achieved better by having a publicly owned bank that can offer lower interest rates and, as I said, uh, eliminate interest that constitutes almost half the cost of, uh, government projects.
1: Okay, Harold. Uh, would a public bank of Colorado loan money to individuals, or would they would they uh, accept checking accounts and do the kind of things that commercial banks do, uh, or would they be limited to uh, banking the state's tax money? What functions would it carry out?
2: Well, the Bank of North Dakota is uh, our. Best model in this country, Uh, the Bank of North Dakota is a state-owned bank that was founded in 1919. Uh, It's now celebrating its 100th year. Uh, It does accept uh, some deposits, although it's no more than 8% of their total deposits. Um, But it's a little difficult to become a depositor. I think you have to own land in North Dakota and there may be other restrictions. Uh, So they've they've never made that easy. Uh, They kind of determined when it was founded they weren't going to compete with uh, private banks for depositors, and they have worked with private banks, which is another feature I didn't mention that's very important. Uh, They cooperate or partner with uh, the small, private, or community banks in local communities around the state of north dakota and that's our model in colorado and that's the model of the uh the new california legislation that authorizes public banks for cities and counties in california the bank of north dakota has um in the last 17 years they have averaged uh, about 17 percent of return on equity which is very positive, and that's in spite of lending at low interest rates. And one of the things many people don't know about banking is that banks uh, actually create new money when they make a loan, money that did not exist before. Some people have put it uh, they're creating money out of thin air. Um, Another way to look at it is the, the borrower's promise to pay uh, is allowed to be written in the books of the bank as a new asset. Uh, and then the deposit that that loan creates that's put in the bank is actually a liability of the bank. Uh, but that that's new money. If it's a $20 million loan, the bank has, has suddenly has $20 million more in assets. Um, and some people call that the secret of banking, and there's been uh, you know, significant indications that uh, bankers at the highest level don't want people to know that they create money out of nothing. And that fact makes it even more clear why um, governments, uh, cities, counties, uh, states, and even at the federal level should have their own banks. In other words, why should they borrow money at interest uh, that nearly doubles the cost that they could create themselves by having their own bank uh, without paying interest or forgiving the interest at the end of the year, which is another way to do it. Uh, the Bank of North Dakota has enabled that state to achieve the lowest uh, unemployment rate, highest employment um, for many years, uh, one of the lowest home foreclosure rates, uh, the lowest credit card default rate, the lowest student loan default rate in the country. Um, It also has stepped in during natural disasters. Think, Think about the difference. In a natural disaster, a public bank wants to step in and help the community. So in North Dakota, when there was a a bad flood in 1997 on the Red River, the bank stepped in immediately and said there's a moratorium on uh, payment of loans in the badly flooded-out areas. They promptly approved loans to rebuild, and they lost only 3% of their residents in that flooded-out area. While immediately across the Red River in Minnesota, the town there uh, equally flooded, Uh, did not have a public bank, and they lost 17% of their residents. They didn't have either the relief or the new lending necessary to rapidly rebuild. The bank also, um, as I mentioned, uh, a high rate of return, uh, and that's lending at relatively low rates of interest. Um, And why is that? Well, it's because a public bank operates on very low uh, overhead. Uh, They don't advertise. That's a huge expense of banks. Um, uh, You turn on the TV and you're likely to see one or more uh, banking ads. Um, They don't have tellers. They work through the local um, community banks. Uh, They're the ones who... um, Take the application for a loan, uh, vet the customer, make sure they're able to pay the loan, and uh, they they have the office. They use their office, and so they save overhead that way. They don't have ATMs um, in North Dakota and typically other banks, um, and so uh, they're able to achieve a, a considerably higher profit rate, and they don't take the risk that the big banks do. Uh, some critics of public banks have said, oh, it's risky. Well, when you're operating with much lower overhead, I should have mentioned they also don't pay these enormous salaries, uh, you know, $20 million for Jamie Dimon and comparable uh, or at least very large uh, salaries and then bonuses of millions of dollars. Uh, instead, the, the president of the Bank of North Dakota, who's been in his position now for uh, I think 17 years since 2002, um, receives a salary of 250 to 300 thousand dollars a year, which is a very generous salary, but you know something like 80 times lower than um, the, the major Wall Street banks, and they don't pay these huge bonuses. Um, and they even pay their people at the lowest levels a higher wage, and they retain their workers who love working there because they're helping the community instead of uh, uh, making it difficult for people to get loans or foreclosing or threatening foreclosure. uh, That has been the behavior that characterized the big banks after 2008. Um, One of the most remarkable things about a public bank and this is demonstrated in spades by the Bank of North Dakota, is that in 2008, uh, when the national economy declined, their response, because their goal is to have a strong local community, was not to reduce lending, but to increase lending slightly, to offset the decline. As a result, North Dakota continued to hum along in its economy and had a record year, 2008, 2009, and each year after that, as they had for uh, numerous years before that. The private banks all cut lending. When there's a decline in the national economy, the private banks are thinking of their shareholders and thinking, well, we're going to lose money, so we better not make new loans. So collectively, they seriously damage the community and create a recession. And you might think, well, that's suicidal. Why are they doing that? Well, when they have collateral on businesses and homes, uh, you might see why they don't worry about that so much, because they can foreclose on those homes and businesses and uh, end up owning them and... uh, owning other businesses and outfits for a fraction of their real value. So so their incentive is not to help the local community. It's to uh, fill their own coffers or protect themselves. Uh, there are other examples of public banks in other parts of the world where, you know, when there's a recession, they lend more money consistently. And the private banks all do just the opposite, which obviously – uh, puts the economy into a tailspin, puts more and more businesses out of work. Uh, that can all be avoided with a public bank. The Bank of North Dakota proved that. Now, some people have objected to that and said, well, the real reason North Dakota did not suffer a decline and suffered record profits in 2008, 2009, and after that, is because of oil. And it's true, North Dakota has plenty of oil, and they began fracking there. Um, But the answer to that uh, objection is that the real uh, money from fracking did not kick in in North Dakota and neighboring states until 2010. So that doesn't explain what happened in 2008, 2009. Uh, In addition, Montana and Alaska have as much oil as North Dakota and they both experienced uh, budget deficits and high unemployment uh, in 2008 and after that. Uh, And again uh, in 2015, I think it was when the price of oil again dropped, the Bank of North Dakota again had record profits and the state's economy uh, was reflected accordingly. And of course, as I mentioned, the Bank of North Dakota is supporting private banks throughout the state, the community banks, by making loans uh, together with them, and they're, they review those loans so you have a second tier to make sure they're lending to people who are uh, viable. It's bankers making the decisions, not politicians. It's in, in, insulated from politics, and um, they are able, therefore, to to establish a very strong and stable economy.
1: Earl, uh, we hold these truths is all about uh, attempting to expose and prevent the funding of massive armaments and war all over the world, which are not only being carried out all the time, but are being contemplated all the time. Um, Would a public bank be required to join in the banking connections that finance war all the time? We're talking here about the Federal Reserve Bank, which we have shown and proved, I believe, that without it, our federal government and our banks would not be able to finance wars all over the world. Would the Colorado Public Bank be required to join the Federal Reserve? If so, what influence would the Fed have on, uh, on your business uh, system and what would be the costs of that being involved in the Federal Reserve System? And I assume you would also buy the insurance, the FDIC insurance uh, that, that insures deposits or you would, I presume, be required to buy that. Is that true?
2: Um not necessarily. The Bank of North Dakota was created before the uh, Great Depression and before the FDIC came into existence. And they're not a member of the Federal Reserve uh, and never have been. Uh, and they don't need it. They have enough uh, backing. They, they back their own uh, uh, bank um, with full faith and credit. Um, They do have access, though, to the Fed so-called window where they can get uh, very low interest rate loans through the Fed. Uh, A couple, two years or so ago, the Fed started raising interest rates, and they can still uh, get loans at those interest rates. Um, So a bank would not probably be required to join the Fed. And as I understand it, the new California bill A.D. or Assembly Bill 857 that authorizes cities and counties to apply for a public bank charter through the state uh, does not require them to uh, become a member of the Fed. It does require them to be member of the uh, FDIC or Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, um, but that doesn't necessarily have a lot of value. To a city bank um, or a county bank that may be formed because uh, the bank is going to have a minimum of probably of a hundred million dollars in deposits and the FDIC covers only a tiny fraction of that um, two hundred fifty thousand dollars per account now they may have several accounts or accounts in several different uh, large banks and only large banks that currently are uh, large enough to meet the um, requirements to be a depository for, for a bank in California or in Colorado, for example, and other states. Um, so uh, a bank in California under this new bill will be a member of the FDIC. It won't provide a great deal of coverage. There are safeguards in the FDIC rules for banks to make sure they're adequately capitalized and regulated and so forth. But a public bank, um, by its very charter, its um, organization is, at least as we envision it, uh, is going to be prohibited from making speculative loans, um, uh, derivatives, credit Fault to swaps and things like that, probably not invest at all in uh, even mortgage-backed securities or at least a very minimum. Um, and they're going to invest in things locally that um, are going to be have a high uh, probability of repayment and things that really create new goods and services. Uh, that's another real Uh, issue in the whole um, banking environment is are banks funding new goods and services which people really need or are they financing uh, purchasing of existing assets, speculation on, say, existing real estate? A lot of the money of the big banks has been i heard one estimate, 74% has been into things that are not new uh, production for the economy, but existing assets. Stocks is another one. It was stocks primarily that created the uh, Great Depression in 1929 when the stock market crashed. And in uh, 2008, it was all the money put in real estate when that crashed. That created that crash. Public banks... Um, are going to be focused on new goods and services. And when you look at what creates inflation, um, it's an increase in money uh, compared to existing assets. Well, if you're using the new money that a bank creates, you're always using it to to, uh, create new goods and services. It's not inflationary because the new, at least until you achieve full employment, Uh, then those new goods and services um, that you've created with that new money is not going to create inflation. So it's a way to protect against inflation.
3: Earl, I'd like to ask you a question out here in in California. You mentioned that the money is created out of nothing. In the charter, we're talking basically a fractional uh, reserve system. How is that set up? What is the fractional reserve with a a charter bank, and how is that administered?
2: Well, a a charter bank is going to be subject uh, to the same rules uh, on how much capital you have to keep in the bank compared to your loans. Um, It's about uh, 10 times, 10 to 1. Uh, And so a bank, when it creates new money... um, when it starts out it's not going to be an issue but when they get up to uh, 10 times the amount of capital uh they're going to need to stop you know making new loans except at the same rate that old loans are being paid off and i i mentioned they create new money by the way when they make a loan um it's also true that as each payment comes in on that loan as the loan is paid off the Assets of the bank decrease by the amount of that payment uh, because the the asset is the promise to pay. And as that promise gets paid off, why, there's less that, that promise is of less money remaining to be paid. And
3: then uh, you mentioned that the, the resistance is from the big banks. How has that manifested itself, and what are you doing to combat it?
2: Well, In California, they had uh, an organization, a loose organization, I think it might have been a 501c3, called the California Public Banking Alliance, I believe. And it was a a coalition of about 8 to 10 cities in California that had been working on this idea for uh, close to 9 or 10 years or more now. They kind of got started after 2008. The the whole public banking movement has taken a big move forward nationally and internationally after the 2008 crash because people realize, well, these big banks are not really serving the public interest and they're endangering our economy and are doing so again, as many people know. So we need to continue to be uh, vigilant and uh, work at this. Excuse me, I I lost the thread. Your question was?
1: Let's see,
3: uh, resistance from the big banks.
2: All right. Well, they didn't uh, express a great deal of resistance during this campaign uh, that I'm aware of. This organization in California actually had uh, not much money, uh, didn't have a paid lobbyist, uh, but they obtained the support of many organizations, uh, groups of labor, um, health care, clean energy, uh, housing groups, uh, and other organizations interested in a healthy economy and strong financial system.
1: And they had
2: 188 different organizations all voicing their support for this. So the legislators were all seeing overwhelming support for this bill. And because it was in the legislature and not a ballot measure where uh, it makes sense to get on the airways and Mm -hmm. by the law, you campaign against it, um, they're their place to speak out was in committees and uh, there were three committees in the house in California and three in the Senate. Uh, Now a factor that sets California a little bit apart is that they have what are called super majorities in the, in the what they call the assembly, but the Mm -hmm. other States may call the house kind of comparable to Congress and the Senate Both, So, with a supermajority, meaning quite a bit more than uh, 51%, um, they were fairly strong in committee, and uh, the big banks did uh, oppose the bill in many respects and tried to introduce amendments, but they didn't get too far with that. They did add the provision that it, that they had to be a member of the FDIC, and as I mentioned, that's not really all that valuable, uh, since the safeguards are built into a public bank, and the North Bank of North Dakota has never been backed by that. But they did include that. That will have you know some controls that you can argue whether they're really essential. Um, and they also said no more than two banks a year. Um, and no more than 10 in seven years. So it'll be kind of like a pilot program, Uh, see how it goes.
3: For California, Earl, this is really not a state bank, is it? It's a county and city bank is what they're uh, chartering. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. That's correct. And cities are the most likely because uh, politically it's easier in a city to get support for this and get it passed and enacted, and you've got big cities like uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco and probably San Diego uh, where there's going to be a lot of support for this because they realize, oh, my, we could have a stronger economy and uh, have money to do what we need to do to repair our roads, all these other things I mentioned, without raising taxes. And, of course, this is a nonpartisan. Uh, Program in so many ways because um, whether you're Republican or Independent Democrat um, or or Libertarian, to have the money to do things that everybody agrees has to be done, like roads and highways and uh, education and those things without having to raise taxes is a huge plus uh, that these other groups, many of them, see. Uh, the the advantages of
3: yeah that, that's good out here in, in California though when you said this is uh, non-political everything out here is political so I I can't imagine I- anything being decided without being being political whether it's the uh, the person that gets to be appointed to the to the chairman of that local city bank whatever that everything is political and agendas drive everything out here so i i'm definitely cautiously optimistic that this could even work out here
2: well you're right I, things are political out there and they are elsewhere in the country it's become more polarized so there may be more um of an outcry against this among, you know, the more conservative groups. But in North Dakota, it was farmers who are traditionally Republican and conservative who got a public bank passed 100 years ago, and they were upset, just as many people across the political spectrum are today. The Tea Party Republicans are not happy with the big banks. Uh, uh, Rand Paul, you know, senator from Kentucky, and Ron Paul, uh, former congressmen from Texas are not happy about the Federal Reserve and and the behavior of the big banks. So, in North Dakota, 100 years ago, it was promoted as a on a nonpartisan basis. Uh, they called it, I think, the nonpartisan League. Uh, that you know they won uh, this election in the state legislature and they won the governorship and they got legislation passed to create the public bank and. I guess what I meant to say was instead of this is nonpartisan is it, it should be nonpartisan, but if they're given enough information, many Republicans and many independents and many
0: libertarians will support this.
3: Great. Thank you, Earl.
0: You're welcome. Earl, we have a question that's come in here. Do you have any examples of public banks outside of the United States, and are they successful? Uh, yes.
2: Um, in Canada, nearby, not that far from North Dakota, <laughs> the province of Alberta um, has had a um, a state bank or province bank now for 80 years, um, and that bank... This is in a state with only 4 million and some people, uh, you know, smaller than Colorado's 5 million. They have uh, $52 billion in assets and $44 billion in loans outstanding. Um, that is uh, a major benefit in Alberta, and they also, as I understand it, partner with. Um, uh, community banks. Uh, they've been very successful. Um, Alberta has been the most prosperous province in Canada of their 10 or 12, whatever provinces it is. They've contributed more money to the national economy than any other province. Now, they do have oil there, and I think more than other provinces, so you have the same you know, potential argument. That it's the oil, but as I explained with the Bank of North Dakota, uh, the bank has been a stronger and more consistent engine for prosperity, and protects against recession that you do not have with oil, which can go up and down and cause a crash in the economy. Uh, so uh, that's that's one example. Uh, South Korea has several nationally owned banks and. They grew at a tremendous pace. Half the last sixty years, they were one of the very poorest countries in the world in the fifties. In nineteen sixty, they elected a new uh, slate of more progressive people, nationalized uh, their uh, biggest banks, and by having a publicly owned bank, they could devote their mission to investing in new goods and services and in infrastructure,
1: and as a a
2: result, they've grown at a very rapid pace for the last uh, 60 years, basically. Um, They did experience problems in 1998. There was a problem in Asia caused partly by currency uh, issues. Um, Japan also suffered from that, Um, but uh, they're, again, back on track with a strong public banking uh, component. Uh, the, uh, China has maybe the most public banks, and they've had you know, tremendous growth, again, during the same period. You know, I was a kid. They were one of the very poorest countries, and now they're about to surpass the United States economy, um, kind of like South Korea may have already Uh, they're they're on verge of surpassing us in per capita income. And because they're a publicly owned bank, they're not increasing the debt of its citizens. They're actually uh, creating public assets that everyone has access to that is making that a a wealthy country. Uh, China has been able to uh, fund all sorts of things that were not funded. And here, You know, here we used to look down on them. Their infrastructure, their high-speed rail makes us look like, you know, 19th century by comparison. That's what a public bank can do and should be doing here uh, is investing in new goods and services and infrastructure like uh, very clean, high-energy rail, clean energy. Uh, Germany is another country that has um, and for a long time, has had a very substantial component of public banking. They have a, a system of about 1,500 city-owned savings banks uh, called Sparkassen, um, and they've been around for 200 years. Uh, as I understand it, they've had no fail- bank failures for that period of time, just as in North Dakota. They've had no bank failures in North Dakota for something like uh, 18 years. Um, It's about 40% of Germany's economy that's in uh, the public banking sector, and much of that is in Sparkasm. There's a national infrastructure bank called KFW, uh, and between the two of them, they have been financing very rapidly the most rapid conversion from fossil fuels to clean energy of any country, as I understand it. Um, and you can do that with other things. Uh, Canada uh, had a nationally owned public bank from 1939 to 1974, and it was a tragedy that insiders at the bank uh, closed that down and said, well, we'd need to join the International Private Central Bank uh, in Basel, Switzerland, the Bank for International Settlement. And in order to join that, there was a condition that you can't borrow from your own bank. That was a very stupid thing to do, but they said, okay, we're going to start borrowing from private banks again. And um, uh, That 35 year period was one of enormous prosperity. Canada in 1939, when they started that nationally owned Bank of Canada, rapidly came out of the Great Depression. Uh, The bank played a major role in funding World War II, and they had so much prosperity that by 1971, when they established national health care equivalent to Medicare for all. it was no problem financially. They had robust economy. Cost was not an issue. Since then, uh, their economy and the national debt of Canada, when they closed their you know, Bank of Canada as a public bank, when they closed that down in 1974, their national debt has risen exponentially, just like the United States. Um, it's another way to you know reverse the whole national debt, is to have publicly-owned bank, so we uh-huh. reverse city, county, and uh, state debt as well. Uh, so those are some of the countries um, uh, that have you know nationally-owned nationally, nationally owned, uh, banks. Costa Rica is another uh, that has been rated as the, the happiest place, I think, in the Western Hemisphere to live, and they have um, several nationally-owned uh, public banks that have fueled their economy and have invested in the community, things people really need. And one of the remarkable things is they haven't spent a penny on weapons. And one reason for that is that they abolished their military in Costa Rica uh, some a few decades ago. And that's been enormously beneficial. And you might think, oh, my God, the neighbors are all going to invade them. Uh, They've had no problems at all from the neighbors. Maybe it's because the neighbors don't fear them. Well, Costa Rica has no military, no reason to hate them, <laughs> and they're probably able to, by having a strong economy, even help their neighbors somewhat. So uh, there are a number of th- – those are just some of the public banks. Taiwan is another. Uh, Japan has a very large component of public banks. New Zealand has a national postal bank. Um Australia used to have a strong public banking system, and that kind of got set backwards. Uh, France, for 17 years, had a nationally owned Bank of France, and that was from 1946 to 73. It also provided a strong economy for France, and then they shut it down. And one of the great lessons you can take from that is that um, if you have a public bank, you have to guard it. The The major banks will probably try to find ways to shut it down. And when people are, things are going well, and, um, things are, people are prospering, they may forget how they got it and how important that public bank is to their prosperity and their guard is down. And I think that's how these national banks that were doing so well got shut down. So it's kind of like, um, It was said about um, liberty. Uh, Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty, and that's true of a public bank. If you've got it, you've got to constantly educate your people on how important it is and make sure that you don't weaken or decrease the uh, extent and um, ability of that bank to maintain a very strong and robust economy and one that is very stable. As I mentioned, it's a way to protect against recession. Pearl, um, I-, I have
1: a question for you related to what you're talking about. You've named these okay. countries, New Zealand, uh, provinces in Canada that uh, used to have public banks. And my question is, how many of these countries that have private banking also have a equivalent of our Federal Reserve, or have they gotten rid of their central bank when they acquired the the uh, publicly owned banks. I see no possibility that you can have uh, public banking owned by communities and uh, a competing system uh, run by a cabal of international uh, banking figures. I'm not even able to identify. We don't even know for sure who owns the Federal Reserve Bank. We only do know that it is completely privately owned by somebody, and it isn't us. Would the central banking system, including the Federal Reserve, would that not be threatened uh, by a movement for private banking? Uh, Wouldn't eventually one or the other have to go away?
2: Well, part of our movement um, advocates that the U.S. Treasury uh, should be Uh, nationalized, uh, or the the Fed rather, the Federal Reserve should be nationalized. Um, The Federal Reserve is owned uh, by the banks that own the 12 branches of the Federal Reserve system. The private banks that own those branches own the Federal Reserve system, and the New New York branch constitutes over 50% of the assets of the total system. Uh, and it is a privately owned central bank, and because that's who owns it, and they're the people who nominate the uh, directors or governors for for the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve has tended to serve the interests of the big private banks rather than the national interests. And if that were nationalized, uh, we could have several nationally owned banks that are focusing on Uh, investing in our own economy and new goods and services rather than existing assets and inflating, uh, creating bubbles in real estate or stocks or commodities, um, but instead investing in the real economy, the real productive economy for the benefit of everybody and uh, in the process uh, reducing national debt. And I I should add... um, and do you and your program ever talk about um, greenbacks or the creation of a currency at the national level directly, uh, not by lending, but by uh, purchasing new goods and services directly?
1: Yes, we, we spend uh, as much time as we can on uh, the economics, and we do focus on the corruption of the economy. Because that corruption is used for a lot of things, but a very large hunk of it is used for making war around the world and financing uh, the wars and also financing those who make wars in other places in other continents uh and so yeah, okay. we do talk about the war making capacity of the of the federal reserve sponsored system
2: right well um it's. I'll just mention that um, uh, under President Lincoln, um, the only president to do this in a major way, Congress exercised its power under Article One, Section Five, uh, Part Five uh, of the Constitution to create money directly by. Um, currency and using it to buy necessary goods and services, uh, primarily initially to fund the civil war. Actually, uh, Lincoln had gone to wall street and was told that, uh, he, they would fund the war, but they would charge, uh, two to 3% interest per month, which is the equivalent of 24% to 36% interest, uh. You can imagine how quickly the United States would have been bankrupted by that kind of lending to fund the war. And um, instead, uh, Lincoln went back, um, and uh, his financial advisor, a guy named Kerry, uh, said, Look, we can fund this ourselves um, just the way the 13 colonies did um, under people like Ben Franklin, um, where they were able to. Uh, create their own uh, effective banks or lending operations as well as print their own money. And some were run better than others. Pennsylvania was one of the best. But as Franklin said, um, our colonies, by being able to uh, uh, lend and create their own money, are the most prosperous place in the world right now. And he had spent many years in England and saw how under their privately owned central bank the bank of england was then privately owned um they've created you know massive debt and poverty among you know the disappearing middle class and there were you know serious problems of unemployment and poverty in england that franklin saw and that he didn't see in this country and he said that the real cause of the revolution is was when in 1764, uh, Britain prohibited um, the colonies from uh, creating money by lending or by printing currency. And the colonies resisted that for a while, but Franklin said as that set in, it rapidly created high unemployment and uh, poverty and was the real cause of the revolution. And uh Lincoln at least recreated part of that um, through having um, direct issuance of currency by Congress, and that could be done today and should be done for infrastructure. it only be done
1: if you you eliminated the Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve enjoys a monopoly on creating the currency, does it not?
2: Yes, it does. Um, uh, Except that Private banks, when they make loans, are creating new, uh, new money, basically. Uh, so, you know, whether it's it's solely through debt uh, when Would
1: people borrow money, to say but the it, biggest hidden adversary of public banking, hidden away and not ever letting itself be detected, of course, because it pretends to be very quiet and uh, pretends to be part of the Congress, uh, under the Congress and part of the government. It, it pretends to be a government organization and uh, therefore it doesn't get too noisy about the things it does. It just has unlimited financial power. Do you see that as a, the greatest obstacle to I don't think
2: the Fed is going to stop uh, public banking from taking hold in the states like North Dakota has been going on for 100 years. Um, California is going to, I think, be able to establish public banks. It may take a year or two to get them up and running. Um, So the Fed isn't directly involved at the state level, state and local level, um, but At the national level, um, that would be different, Uh, and the Fed doesn't operate as a retail bank. They will buy bonds um, and uh, securities and put money into the economy, uh, put money into the, the big private banks so that they can lend more money into the economy so they do affect the economy that way uh focusing on uh inflation and employment um we have some experts who understand public banking who think that that the whole the theory under which the fed regulates our economy is actually not uh economically valid it it, it doesn't work <laughs> that because banks create money out of nothing that system has been a failure because it doesn't understand, doesn't take that into account, doesn't take into account that our money is being created by private banks when they make loans. And that uh, factor is not adequately maintained, uh, is not adequately regulated, rather. Um, and so it really is necessary at the national level, not only for uh, Congress to authorize um, the creation of money directly for things the government can produce directly, uh, can purchase directly like um, new goods and services for infrastructure, uh, maybe education and healthcare care in some respects, uh, maybe other things. But uh, that plus uh, there should be publicly owned banks at the national level. Uh, as in China and South Korea, that are really committed to the public interest and not just maximizing profit for private shareholders. One of the big flaws of what was called quantitative easing, where the Fed was pumping money into the the big private banks over the, after 2008, um, was that they were just, putting that money directly into those big private banks on the theory that, well, those banks will now lend that money into the economy. The private banks did not do that. They used that money to buy back the bad loans that they had made um, that brought about the crash and or buy back their own stock instead of lending it into the economy. And so we've had this, Flat economy ever since 2008. Yes, the economy has come back in some ways, but there's still about three or four trillion dollars less in the economy now than there was uh, 11 years ago. And that's where uh, national public banks, as well as public banks at the local level, could state and local level could make a huge difference by putting money back directly into the economy. And I should mention that uh, Ben Bernanke, as well as Milton Friedman, had suggested the idea of what they called helicopter money. (laughs) It's kind of a humorous way to look at it, but having helicopters fly over a city and, and maybe rural areas and just drop money. Because when the economy has much less money in it, our contracted economy because banks cut their lending in 2008 to a massive degree, 3 or $4 trillion less in the economy. Um, if you reverse that and drop new money in, people are going to start to spend it and get the economy revved up again. Uh, people may have forgotten this, but people lost pensions in the uh, 2008 crash. Uh, completely or to a very large extent. So many jobs that were full-time and paid a real, really good wage have become part-time jobs or at a much lower wage, like airline pilots working for a fraction of what they used to earn in many cases. Um, there's so many ways in which this economy is, uh, in spite of reports about it coming back from 2008, is not nearly what it was or what it could or should be. Um, and public banks, as well as public creation of currency at the federal level, are the most effective way to do that, even though I should make very clear, it's not a panacea. It's not the only solution to our financial bills, but it is the one that I think of all the others that have been looked at, is the one that would have the, the most impact.
1: I think this is a great way to wrap it up. It's not a panacea for anything, but it is progress. And you've convinced me, Earl, and, and I really do believe what we both said in our own way that uh, our nemesis is the banking system that is dominated and run beneath the scenes by this Federal Reserve operation that is definitely private and uh, in that sense criminal, and uh, that is unregulated and uncontrolled and really beyond our control, and very arrogant as well. I think that what your group is doing is that you're uh, raising this issue. And the private banks would not by themselves eliminate the Federal Reserve System, but the knowledge of what they're doing and the the knowledge of what you shared with us tonight is the kind of thing that uh, could get rid of the Federal Reserve here. And uh, it would be interesting to know how many of these countries that have uh, substantial public banking don't have a privately controlled super bank over the top of the whole banking system like we do.
2: Well, I do want to um, make this last comment that I would strongly urge people To find out about your local public banking efforts wherever you are, Uh, volunteer, support them, contribute what you can, Uh, get on the website of the Public Banking Institute uh, or our Rocky Mountain Public Banking Institute or ellenbrown.com. Ellen Brown is the author of two of the leading books and founder of the Public Banking Institute, because it's going to take a great deal of effort of people uh, all over the country and the world, really, uh, to uh, move towards getting more and more public banks, where we can reverse this uh, flow of money and income disparity and wealth disparity into the hands of, you know, the one tenth of one percent, and back into the hands of the ninety nine percent of the, you know, the great mass of people and restore middle class so please do whatever you can read up on it and take whatever action you can or contribute
1: thank you for being with us
2: you're very welcome thank you chuck for having me on and uh appreciate that of you and and the rest of your organization
0: thanks for listening if you like this program please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, WHTT.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at WHTT.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1.